Welcome to the Kavod Family Podcast. Kavod Family exists for the restoration of families and the transformation of communities. Well, good morning and welcome to the Kavod Family Podcast. This is Casey Wilson. And Travis. They, I, I wish they could experience what transpired the last four minutes. <laughs> My gosh, it was just... It was gold? Yeah, you could say that. It was gold. It was glorious. <laughs> Those are rough. Oh. Well, uh, this is the Kavod Family Podcast, and we have been, if you followed along for the last three episodes, we've been breaking apart a verse. It comes out of Second Timothy talking about culture, really just talking about it actually stems from this beautiful relationship, Paul, who functions as a father figure, and he's speaking to a grandma and a family about how they've laid hands, how, how, how the yeah. church through, you know, Paul has laid hands on Timothy and to like fan this calling, fan this calling in this young man's Pass life. This legacy down. Yeah. And it's a culture, right? You're, you're calling, you know, you're, you're, you're calling out what God would want. Uh, a young man to walk in. Yeah, listen to it. It's super cool. Second Timothy one five. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Right. So he's had a relationship with the family. He saw faith in grandma. He saw faith. But think of that. Like you've, we've talked about ending well and running the, the race well, yeah. right? But then also to leave a legacy behind. And these are women leaving this amazing legacy of strength and of faith, not fear, but of faith in their daughter and then in their grandson now. Yeah. Like, talk, that's even better. I think it's in Proverbs somewhere that says, like, a, if, correct me, Casey, if basically, like, you should leave an inheritance for your, your children and your grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, like, it, it, it persecutes you or, 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 or like it it corrects you for not doing that right? right but here like it's not even a worldly thing that's being left behind here it is a it is a parable for the bigger and better thing that the faith that dwelled in your grandmother and in your mother and i'm sure is in you yeah. like that's a legacy worth leaving behind yeah. not a house and property and i mean those things are nice but they're not they're not the prize no if you want to leave anything to your children it, it, that's the thing you want to pass on right absolutely I mean, you hope with it that you teach them how to steward life and life's resources, you know, how to manage money and, and time and, and everything else that goes on with life. But the main thing is how do you manage, how do you stir up, how do you muster, how do you, how do you fan that flame of faith that God has given to you? Because when you do that, you're building on the cornerstone. You're building on Jesus. The foundation is laid correctly. And just like all the other episodes we've talked about, like good sex comes from a byproduct of a good marriage. Yeah. So like all of those things that you could leave your, your family, but if they've, you've gained the world, but you've missed your faith, like it's not worth it. So the idea that you can build that on somebody and then if they have money or position or assets or stuff, like you're helping to buffer the demands of this world, the bills, the, like you can help answer some of those questions, but it's not worth answering those questions or there's those future problems that Reed or Ezri might have right. at the cost of not t- teaching them about God and why we're really here. Yeah, because it's not just God's principles that we're trying to teach. It's a relationship, right? And so stir up this relationship with God is what's being said, right? To remember who your father really is. Remember who the one that you belong to. Remember what he's placed in you and what he's called you to do. Uh, that's, that's different. 
It's a relationship, right? I mean, we love hearing those stories about relationship, about grandparents and the stories and things that they did. Your grandparents, we've told stories about that, mine. And, and this goes far beyond that. This goes back to our original calling, who really yeah, designed absolutely. and created us and created all things. And so that sound mind, you know, self-control, do not have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, sound mind. When we walked through power, it talked a lot about identity, uh, authority, calling, and where that comes from, being connected to God, that God is the one that has commissioned you to do this, right? That's the power. It's not just a physical might. No, no. It, it, yeah, it's, it's him inside of you. It's an authority. Then we talked about a culture of love, right? Being selfless, being sacrificial. And where, where is all the attributes of love? What, First Corinthians or something? Yeah, First Corinthians. Jump into First Corinthians chapter 14, and you can jam through that and see just how different. Yeah, it's almost like a measuring a measuring device for you. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is, does not boast. Love is not envious. All of this. And like, I know when I, especially the first time I read that, I've gotten a little bit better at it. <laughs> but like, love is patient. I'm like, well, I'm out right there. Like, the first one is one of the main things that I'm so lacking in. Right. Chapter 13 is actually the one that talks about love, and 14 talks about how love is superior to these spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. So they kind of go together. But chapter 13 there is where it compares what love is and it is not. A true love, biblical love. Um, and then it closes the statement and it says, uh, not a spirit of, of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And that sound mind, uh, it's also been interpreted self-control, but really it's it's having a mind that is in line. It's in one accord with God and his ways. And it's no coincidence that it talks about putting on the helmet of salvation in Ephesians. You know, like you're... you're you're cl- unifying yourself and you're walking in his shadow and you're follow me as I follow him. Like, you know that your aim is to stay with him and align your things with what he has and to preserve those yeah. things. And a sound mind knowing who you are and whose you are helps you, helps you walk in love more freely. You're not binding to this, like how we talked about a contract. Like if you do your 50 and I do my 50, we'll love each other. No, you're free to just freely love because yeah. he did. And then once you're free and you know who you are and you know what your calling is, you can walk in it confidently with authority eventually as you grow and with power as you grow. It's it's a building block that you don't even realize that you're building in just because your your aim is to stay in step with him, you know? Yeah. So if you're if you're a leader or if you're a homemaker, if you're a father, a mother, if you're a business owner, uh, anyway, the culture that you are a part of, whether you're leading it or whether you're trying to lead up, because that, that's part of this story too, right? Time. There's yeah. times where you're in a position where you have to lead up. You can still walk in your identity and in your authority, and you can create a culture of love and the behavior that you, you know, how you behave. And then you can have that mind to where your counsel, your wisdom, the things that you say, the reasons you do what you do, all of that is in step with God in his scriptures, right? And so that's what we want to talk about. We want to kind of bring a closure to this uh, by talking about practical situations, some applications, but really the difference between where it starts, do not have a spirit of fear, but of power and love, or God did not give you a spirit of fear, yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So this this distinction here that God's kingdom is not one that comes with fear and trepidation in regards to what he's called us to do. And there should be and I keep I'm running with this now because it's fresh in my brain, guys. There should be like a, a measuring device, a thermometer. If you're if you're feeling fearful, that is a good sign that you need to go sit with God because He has not given us a spirit of fear. So if you're anxious about something or you're unsure, there's a verse that talks about with with 
prayer and supplication, bring those thoughts before the Lord with thanksgiving. So the idea of like, when you're with God, you're in perfect peace. That doesn't mean that you won't have stressful moments or times where you don't know what to do. But the idea is that we submit that and we bring that to Him, and there should be a confidence in Him and who we are in Him, despite what may come or may not come. And I, I thought who modeled it so well, like this this idea of He has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Like these two things are at odds with each other. So Satan created this spirit of fear and this counterfeit to be at odds with the spirit that God has given us access sure. to. And he knows that if we if we believe it and we sub- submit to it, like we, we will just spin our wheels and we'll stay there without ever truly experiencing what we could have with God. And if you look at David, like David was anointed the king over Israel, but he was in the field with the sheep. While he was in the field with the sheep, he started to learn whose he was. He started to understand God is his father. Yep. And that gave him the confidence to to do whatever he did with full full joy. Like he worshipped out whenever he was washing over the sheep. But then whenever something came to threaten his role in that, like he talked about he killed a lion and a bear in his youth. But see, to like that isn't a display of his power, in my opinion. That's a display of his confidence in who he was. Yeah. In his identity, because he knew like I'm God's son and this is my job and I'm gonna do it well. So when he was told he was gonna be a king. If you look at the next part of his life, oh my gosh, it, it, at the beginning it looked like he was on the path to become king. I mean, he was a shepherd, then he was a musician for Saul, then he was the armor bearer for Saul, then he was the second in charge of the army, the warlord over it all. And then he started to run from Saul because Saul got jealous and wanted to kill him. Yeah. But the whole time he he didn't, like, he questions and prays to God and works through that stuff, but he knows who God says he was. Like, I'm your beloved. I, he, it says that David is a man after God's own heart. So in that, he solidified his worth and his identity. And from that, he, he killed fear. He, he began to walk in power and love and, so, and a sound mind. And if you look at the principles that he learned whenever he was a shepherd, he applied those when he became king. That doesn't mean he is, isn't without fault. We all know that he's messed up. He has messed up. But this idea that he pursued God and not fear— he clung to what God told him and who he was and ran with that. And even the times that he fell, you know, that the separation from God's peace, you know, restore to me the joy yeah, of your salvation. Absolutely. That cry, right, in Psalms. And so if you go back to the garden, it's it's not just this picture that that Satan is stirring up fear. God has created a world by which when we're out of step with him, fear, anxiety, stress, that's the natural fruit Absolutely. of those things. If you just go back to Adam, it was a real blessing when Adam and Eve stepped out of line and, and into rebellion with God that he separated them from his presence by teaching them, look, if you're going to be in my presence, which I'm going to make a way for this, but for you to be in my presence, you you have to conform to my my desire, what I want, what I know is good for you, Right? You have to be in step with me. You have to follow me. I'm not here to follow you, right? We we have to get that in mind. And so when they're banished and separated from that garden and placed in this world where without God, there's murder and hurt and pain and suffering and sickness and disease, those things actually with the right mind throw you back to God. They push you to God. Yeah. It's a gift to us. People always say, you know, why is there fear or why is there death and hurt and pain and all this? Those are there to push you back to God. It's to throw you back on his counsel and his goodness, to show you that we have caused some hurt and pain and now it's time to be restored, right? You know, with your boy, you know, 
I remember as a kid when I was out of line with my dad or if I'd done something, you know it, a, a look. What my dad would walk and go outside and work in the backyard or he'd go out in the garage or something rather than talk to me because he's thinking and he's processing what he wants to do. But that time, that distance, <laughs> that was enough. You know what I mean? It was far worse than, than many punishments that a father could give. Oh, my gosh. Just yeah. knowing that you were separated from your father's love for that moment. Well, it felt that way. You weren't. Yeah. But that's what – As a, as a child, you feel that way. But then when those are your like. father, you're like – Oh, I want so much more for you. Let me teach you these things. Like I just had a conversation with Reed a few months ago. He was at a friend's house and wrote on their furniture. He, my son is 11. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you didn't do this when you're four or five. Like what is wrong with you? You know? So he wrote on it and I didn't know about it. It actually came up. Gosh, probably three or four weeks later. I think he ended up telling us, he's like, yeah, I wrote on their furniture. I was like, what do you mean? He said, yeah, the parents found it and, you know, talked to me about it, said, don't do that. And I said, and you didn't tell me? He's like, no, like they said that it was done and it was handled. And I said, I said, okay. I said, okay, let's test this theory. What did you learn? Don't write on furniture. And I'm like, okay, well, Lord, you should have known that forever now. What else? Well, that's it. And I'm like, see, that's the problem. Come to me and we're, we're going we're gonna to go so much further than just the immediate like worldly lesson there. Like, duh, don't write on furniture. But, but what's bigger than that? Where's the respect in that? Did you purchase that furniture? How are you going to fix that? How are you that, – like that was dishonest. Like we went into all this. And I said, every time you do something wrong, I said, I want you to run to me and to your mom. Yeah. I said, sometimes I might say that was stupid. I'm not going to say you're stupid, but like what you did was incredibly dumb. But like I'm going to coach you. I'm going to lead you on how to fix it, how to correct it. And then A, once you once you do that, this is supposed to be a pattern and we're gonna fix we're gonna fix the situation first. And then we're gonna learn the lesson. We're gonna learn the parable, the spiritual right. lesson behind this. And this is a model that when I'm not around, one day I'll die, you should always go to the Father when you're in like good and bad, but when you're in trouble, go to him, run to him. That's what you should do. Yeah. Because obviously you didn't learn anything, you just learned don't write on furniture. And I said, I my my job is to to show you your error, to expose it, and to redeem you, and to teach it. And I said, there's fruit and there's life in that. Yeah. But but in that, so if we run with it, he's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. In that moment, my son was fearful to come to me. Right. And I said, hey, I said, I might discipline you. You might need it. You might need to get your butt spanked sometimes. That's fine. But like, I love you. And I'm like, what happens every time I discipline you? He's like, you hug me. And I said, and then what? He's like, it's done. Like, it's done. I said, okay, and then we, then we what? We've learned, right. and we fixed the problem. But in that, there, there's two people in this scenario. He felt fearful, and he understood that that's not of, A, our household, and B, that's not what God wants. Right. Like, come to me. And then for me, I had to, to know the spectrum of where to be on because I'm in authority. I have the power. But also, I can't just be this tyrant that my son will, won't want to come to when he's in trouble, right? So I need to exercise love. That's my filter, but then sound mind, self-control, all those attributes and what First Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love bears all things, love endures all things, love forgives all things, love stands. And I'm like, okay, I need to instruct him in this and teach him this, but also there's a standard. So in that, the power, love, and a sound mind, self-control, I was not by me in that moment, God, because I was like, God, lead me in this, because I know to me it's just like I'm going to spank him and tell him not to do it, but there's so much more underlining than that. And God just kind of navigated all of that, but it was a balance of power because he, like, what did I say before? Authority demands a response. Power demands a response. 
So whenever I'm dealing with him, there's a reverence, there's a, a little bit of fear, respect there. But then whenever I sh- I've told him that God, God desires mercy, and David says, your gentleness made me great. It's not always just power, power, power. Like the love is what gives someone the freedom to grow and to run with this. So in this one analogy, like he was being ministered to from me and from God, and I was learning from God on how to handle these different situations, you know, because like... If I'd just been like, buddy, you can't do that, like, not being mean, but I've done that before, and I've heard parents, well, that's not very nice. Like, there's a little bit of love in there, but there's no instruction, and there's a lot of times no authority. There's no rep, especially for a little boy when you're like, don't do that. Well, all of us would rather be disciplined by somebody other than our own parents. Absolutely. I mean, nine out of ten times, right? Unless unless there's those people like a coach that comes into your place and they win that place of respect because your parents have lost it. There, there are those situations, right, where somebody else steps in and, and, and due to life and, and failure and brokenness and hurt, like the parents have naturally let go, given up. I mean it happens in adoption. It happens in foster care. It happens in broken homes all the time. Uh, but, but when that happens, like we would always – the shame comes and the fear comes and the anxiety comes because he hasn't reconciled with you, his father. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's the weight. That's the burden. That's the thing that you don't want to continue. It, out of all of this, it's not just the lesson of don't write. It's even more, don't go through the next two, three years carrying this guilt from what you did, you know it was wrong, and you never resolved it. Because when you resolve it, then the fear goes away. But if you don't resolve it, the fear stays, right? There's always that fear like, ah, dad's going to find out one day. The story's going to come out. And I want to speak to mothers and fathers, but especially fathers, like how you deal with it, there is a, there's a correct way and a godly way and a, and a completely worldly wrong way. And you only get better at that by literally praying and asking God for wisdom in those moments because you do have to show some, some authority, some weight, especially for a young boy. If you're just talking to a young boy, like, he, like A, testosterone, like he wants to establish, if you literally look at like the animal kingdom, they're challenging for the role of authority to, to, to be the one in charge, literally. And I'm seeing it as he gets older, he's getting testosterone now, he's getting bass in his voice. He'll look at me and he's like, what? Yeah. And I'm like, mm-mm, we ain't doing this. But you need to walk in the power. So don't be fearful of that, but you will absolutely wreck your boy if you don't, if you don't have self-control and love in executing that. You need, like, power demands a response. I think I've told this example on the podcast before, but Rita got in this little birdhouse that you glued together from Lowe's. Grandmom got it for him, and he's pitching a fit, pitching a fit, pitching a fit. Emotions are all over the place, and I've ta- it's been all week with this stuff. I've talked to him, I've talked to him, I've talked to him, talking a boy to death. I'm reading, I've told him scripture, I've coached him up, and he's not listening. He's just pitching a fit. And so the, his birdhouse is almost put together, and he's whining about how the glue's sliding, and I flatten the birdhouse and throw it down the hall. And he looks at me with huge eyes. And immediately I felt guilty. And God's like, why do you, like literally in that moment, God's like, why, why do you feel this way? I was like, because I lost control. Inside, while Reed's looking at me, he's like, I, I feel like you're under control right now. You're talking to me like you're not losing or screaming it. Are you under control? Like, can you talk normal? And I'm like, yeah, I can. He's like, okay, teach him. And I looked and I was like, oh, wow. Like, I have his ears. I have his eyes right now. I said, buddy, do I have your attention? Yeah. Yeah, dad. I said, I will act crazy to the moment you leave my house because my job is to bring you before God, to tell you who he is, and you're not listening. And I've been talking to you, and he goes, all week. I said, I love you. I said, number one, I'm going to buy another birdhouse because I didn't buy this. 
Grandma bought it. And I said, secondly, your attitude sucks. And I said, that's not what God made you for. You're speaking lies over yourself. This is what Satan has done. And you're, you're literally giving it into him. Proverbs 18 talks about, like, out of, the, out of your tongue, life and death. The power of life and death is in the tongue. I've talked to him about all this stuff. I said, you are literally killing yourself right now by your words. So my power, I flattened it, threw it down the hall. I have his ears. Yeah. Love, self-control, sound mind was bridled by love in that moment, and I taught him. And we went and bought the birdhouse, got him another one. But it's this idea of, like, you have to, you have to execute power in those moments to, to, get the, to get their idea, to get their eyes, to get their heart, you know? So don't shy back away from that in discipline. But make sure it's bridled by love and God's principles because you could go completely disarray in the other way with it as well. Right, right. Yeah, so much I often talk about this. It's not so much about what happens. It has a lot to do with how you respond in a situation, whether you're a child or whether you're a parent because we're going to make mistakes. Like you said, you're going to have those moments where you feel out of control, but it's how do you follow through, right? You might have a moment where you get in a fight with your wife or you get in an argument with your child or something like that, but how do you finish how do you follow through with that, which is so important? And that has a lot to do with this control, this self-control and love, right? You see these stories throughout scriptures too where where Jesus – let me give you one story where Jesus, he's in a unique situation and he's trying to teach a lesson and he wants to show uh, what it's going to cost. It's going to cost the disciples to love other people, right? And if you if you go to John chapter 13 – it's towards the end of his ministry. It's right before the crucifixion. It's the night where he's he's having the Last Supper right before it, and he washes the disciples' feet. It's an act of slavery. It's what a slave would do, right? And and he humbles himself. He takes this towel, and he washes the disciples' feet. But before he does it, there's this account, there's this record in, in John, which is so cool because it shows you the mind that Christ had. And are you good if I just read this real quick? Yeah. Okay. Uh, chapter 13, verse 2, it says, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, so this betrayal is about to happen, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And so here's this moment of not only betrayal, he's about to be betrayed by a man that he has loved and walked with for the last two and a half, three years of his life, okay? But he's, he's going to lay down his life. And this is the hour before, this is the time of preparation before the sacrifice. And what he does is he remembers, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God. That's what you're trying to stir up and read, Right? Look, son, this is not about your, your pity party, your whining, your little attitude. This is about knowing who you are, that you belong to God, that one day you'll come back to him, and this life today is lived out for him. That changes everything. It changes everything. It allows you to take off your garments, lay them aside, and wash the disciples' feet, to do even the, the, the lowest of acts for, for those you love. And in that, he displayed such power. Do you see it? In, in removing all of those things. Obviously, love, we see that, and self-control, because he could have called down legions and took over right then if he wanted to. But the idea that power isn't just this tyrant, no. it, it can be the softest, most gentle. Like, David was one of the, the greatest warriors, the warlord, the warrior king, whatever you want to call it, and he said, 
your gentleness made me great. Yeah. Like that's huge. Yeah. So the ability to 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 see when there's fear and the the aroma, the idea, and you can just kind of sense when someone's operating out of fear, you you need to instruct them and inspire them. And it's a combination of power and it's a combination of love and of sound mind and the attributes in First Corinthians thirteen of love. The more you get a hold of God and who he is and the confidence of who he is and who you are in him, you start to just walk in these things and they're a byproduct of you yeah. just because you're in step with him. And then people around you are like, man, he's so confident. He's this, he's this, why? And you're like, because I'm God's son or I'm God's daughter and he yeah. loves me and I love you. Like, how are you? And people are just so shook by that. I love being out on the football field with the little boys um, because they haven't quite gone to that that full-blown testosterone age like the older kids, the younger ones where I'm at, the eight, nine-year-olds, they'll play and they'll hit each other and they'll beat each other up and they'll wrestle and they'll tackle and they'll go after it and, hey, coach, hey, coach. And then every now and then you'll ref- you'll hear a child refer to his dad and he'll go, he's, he's yip- yippering and yapping, you know, and then he'll go, hey, daddy. And you're like, oh, that moment where you're just a son. Yep. Like, yep. like even you could be the, the, the child I'm thinking of, he's the quarterback, he's – He's a really good football player. The kid is awesome. He tries hard. He works hard. He leads the team. He does a great job, right? Like he hustles. And then every now and then you'll just hear him and he'll be like, hey, daddy. And he'll start telling a little story. And I'm like, that's it. That that identity. Mm-hmm. I'm just a child. Absolutely. And that's my first identity, right? And we can never lose that. We can never lose that. And that's where, you know, thankfully that's what Jesus came to restore. You know, so many of the old doctrines, you'll you'll hear this. They'll talk about justification and sanctification and glorification, all these big words. But the one we fail to talk about all the time is the doctrine of adoption. It is the idea that God has made you his son, and now His the, the, the righteousness of Jesus you are clothed in to the point to where when he looks down upon you, he doesn't see the rebel, the old Adam. He doesn't see that one, the one that's deserving of, of, of justice and wrath. He looks down on a son that is worthy of his ring, worthy of his authority, worthy to walk in the power and authority of a son. Like that's what he's called you into. That is an awesome thing. And that's the thing that we have to instill into our children. Uh, my children, all of them have come through foster care and adoption. And so every one of them came in feeling like an outsider. And so it was my job to teach them that they were an insider. It wasn't their job to come to a point where they accepted it and wanted to be in the club. It was my job to paint a picture of, no, you are my son. And I'm going to treat you like a father from day one. So I was the first to say, I love you to every one of my children. I was the first to engage and hug and love on them. Not... Not forcing it, but but setting that stage, right? And despite how they responded to it or not, that's that's how you exercised your power, your self control, your love, and that's what, I, in a way, grafted them in. I remember going on a walk. Uh, one of my boys, he was just having a rough time, rough time, just button heads with authority, and uh, and I remember him looking at me and he said, "You know, you're not my real dad." And I said, "Let's go for a walk, buddy." And we went for a walk and we sat down. And I said, what do you mean by that? Tell me what it would take for me to be your real dad. And he starts telling me about, you know, silly, he's little, so silly things. Well, you should buy me an Xbox or I want to go to well, – maybe we go to the fun factory. On so it. Like that. I'm like, buddy, that is not what a father is. And I said, let me tell you what I am. And, and I just told him I'm the one that cares for you and watches out for you and loves you and makes sure that you will grow into a man. Like I'm the – I just poured love into this kid. And, and immediately he looked at me and he goes – Okay, dad. And he ran off and he played. 
And, and so it's the idea that we set the narrative on you becoming a son. And that's what God's done for us, right? He chased us down with this story, with this beautiful book and all the history of it to tell us, like, I'm, I'm pursuing you as a father chasing rebellious sons. That's what I'm going after. And that's the nature, the identity that we need to grab onto. It's the only way that you're going to escape this, this spirit of fear that so many have in this world. I don't care how successful you are. You know, there, there's that spirit of fear, whether it's of life, death, not, not good enough, not accepted, not loved. I mean, we've all heard the stories from people that make millions and have all, all that they've ever wanted out of this life, and they're still lonely. They still feel alone, that, that fear. And it's because the relationship needs to be restored, right? Thank you for listening to the Kavod Family Podcast. Please like, share, and leave us a review. If you've enjoyed this content, or if you're familiar with some of our programs and partners in the Kavod Family Network, please consider becoming a donor at Kavod Family slash donation. God is in the process of restoring all things to himself. That begins with the person. That person is part of a family, and that family belongs to a community. Kavod Family is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry.